0: Hi, everybody. My name is Monica. I'm from uh, Germany and I'm part of the GYC Europe programming team. And I'm very excited to introduce Michael Carducci to you today. Um, He will talk about a very important topic um, that unfortunately is not talked about very often in our church. And... um, I think he will say a few words about himself um, anyway, so I'm not gonna go into much detail and take up all his time. So yeah, um, I suggest we start with the word of prayer and then um, I leave the floor to you, Michael. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can come together uh, for this workshop today from so many different countries and even continents. Thank you, Lord, um, that you, yeah, made this conference happen and that we have so many people here and so many great speakers. Thank you that Michael agreed to speak about this very personal and important topic. Please be with him right now. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: I thank you, Monica. I appreciate the introduction. Um, I'm Michael Carducci with Coming Out Ministries, and we are celebrating our 10th year anniversary right now uh, of being in ministry. And 10 years ago, when I met the other individuals that we formed Coming Out Ministries with, I thought that I was the only person that could have come out of homosexuality back into Christianity. Um, it was a delight not only to meet them, but we realized that more than one voice was much more valuable than just a single voice. And so Coming Out Ministries is about multiple ministries coming together. But now we've incorporated into one ministry. We have um, one of my founding, um, one of the founding members, Pastor Ron Woolsey, who's still with our, our ministry. And now we have associate speakers from Costa Rica, South Africa, and even Brooklyn, New York and all talking about the freedom from sexual sin. This is not just an issue of LGBT, it's an issue of sexuality. And the church has long ignored or put away a very difficult topic, either because they didn't know how to address it, or it was just too difficult to address it. But either way, the problem is that now the LGBT movement is so great, and now sexuality is moving even more rapidly that the church really does not have the opportunity to ignore this anymore. We must address it, but we must address it in a biblical and a spiritual and a loving way that compels people rather than repulses them. So thank you for this opportunity, um, Monica, and to the GYC and ASI board. And I'd like to share my screen at this time um, for the presentation. And okay. All right, is everybody able to see that? Monica, are we good?
2: Yes, this is uh, Monica's husband. We're good. Okay,
1: all right, great, great, great. (laughs) So I wanna start off with this slide. This was like really powerful for me when I was in Europe. um, I guess it was two years ago now. I came up and I was actually in Holland and I came up out of the parking garage and this was the view that I saw. And take a look at this. This is the prominent Protestant church that was in the center of this beautiful town. And they were waving the gay flag from the Protestant church. And for many people that may be listening in Europe, that this is a common occurrence and this is not a big deal to many people there. But to somebody who was from the United States, even though we've had gay marriage now for several years, It was shocking to see the gay flags actually flying from a Protestant church. That's when my eyes became open again to the prevalence of this issue and the church. Isn't that interesting that the title of my program today is called Sexuality and the Church. We want to unpack in a safe way something that doesn't harm people that may be struggling with same-sex attraction or LGBT understanding. But in the same way, we want to equip and inspire and then to enlighten the church about the growing increase of the, um, the rapid destruction of biblical sexuality. So I put this uh, picture up because this, again, to me, is a sign of what we're looking at today in our history. Coming Out Ministries, again, established 10 years ago. Um, coming out of darkness into God's marvelous light. That's what Coming Out Ministries is all about. We're, <clears throat> we're taking back the whole idea of coming out, not of the closet, but coming out of darkness into God's marvelous light. 1 Peter 2.9. I wanna share with you this video that I think is, is a great introduction. It's a beautiful story about a young, uh, young woman who, um, who tastes the things of the world and is moved by her feelings and emotions. But I want you to really pay close attention to the, uh, the intricacies of how the Lord called her out into a relationship with him and how that changed her life. Now, I want to warn you a little bit, if you're wearing earplugs, you might wanna turn the volume down. It starts off pretty loud, but it, again, it, it'll mellow out as it goes on. But I just wanted to give you that warning because it's a little startling at first. But take a look at this video.
3: I was 15 and I started dating a girl that lived down the street from me. It was my first time ever dating someone and being official. I was pretty pumped. I got a hippie. My dad saw it and was livid. I love her. <laughs> It's a girl, and I'm going to be with her, and this is how it is. Yeah, It went terribly. I guess she told some people, and so they came to me and asked me, are you and her gay together? I can either cower away or I can own it, so I'm going to own it. I said, yeah, what about it? Love is not necessarily between a man and a woman. The problem was backwards thinking. If you were truly a Christian... You were on my side, and if not, you were legalistic and you needed to reread what God was really about. Judge not. God being loved meant God was nice and God was chill with
4: what you were cool with.
3: By 18 and 19 and 20, I was super wild and in serial relationships with women. When I got to nursing school, I met the girl that I ended up being engaged to. I kind of saw down a little bit for her because she had two kids. 22, I got invited to a Bible study. I expected them to bring up my lifestyle really early, and then would use that as justification for not coming back. So I agreed to go. Different women in the circle were talking about different experiences they had. I have nothing like that, and it bugged me. I could not stop thinking, what if all of it's true? Are you sure this is who you are? Stop questioning. I need to feel okay because I don't feel okay anymore. I googled verses on homosexuality those who practice homosexuality, which was me, and also drunkards and a bunch of other things that I would have been. I realized that I was in the will I enter the kingdom of God lineup. And it scared me really, really bad. And then I read verse 11. And it says, and such were some of you, but you are washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. I realized that there are people in the same place, and they were saved, and they were changed. And that, that God could do that for me, too, and that I needed that. could hold on to my sin and reject God or I could turn to him. All the debt that I'd racked up living like I lived didn't have to be mine if I could trust him. So that was it. I knew what I wasn't going to do because it was right there. It was black and white. I would twisted those scriptures before. I'd argued them down. I said judge not to them like that mattered. And then that day, it was like my eyes were really open. I was amazed at the grace he showed me. People say to me all the time, I was born this way. I say, okay, yeah, me too. You're not born with right affections. That's why Jesus had to come. You feeling a desire for sin just proves you need grace like me. It's not gay to straight, it's lost to saved. God calls us not to heterosexuality, but to holiness. Even though the world would paint a a totally different story about what sexuality is and isn't, God's word is clear, and He can save, and He does, and He will.
1: I think that that's a very powerful testimony. In just a few minutes to talk about what change really looks like. And there's such a movement now to say that if somebody, if you tell someone that they have to change, that's a hate message, there was no hate in what you just saw. I love how she put the power of restoration on God. She says that he can change, he does change, but most importantly, he will change. Those are really powerful words for somebody like me. I struggled with homosexuality for uh, 20 years of living in that culture I also was transgendered from my first conscious moment when I was four years old. My first thoughts was that I was a girl trapped in a boy's body. And that followed me until I was 20 years old. And then after I went into the gay culture, addicted not only sexually, but also to pornography, the struggles that God had to address and to reach for me and to be in this ministry for 10 years has been remarkable, Um, not only to see what God can do in somebody's life, but also what he does in the lives of other people as well. We need to be talking about this. We need to give people hope that struggle with these thoughts like I did. I thought that the only way God would accept me was if I had a sex change. Then my attractions would be okay. Then my body would be okay. But I didn't realize that God had made me perfectly the way I was. And Jeremiah says, before the earth was formed, I knew you. And that in Psalms 139, that Jesus knit my delicate inward parts together in my mother's womb. He intentionally made me male. And those are really difficult topics to address. But today, I really want to talk about what the church needs to understand. Our vision at Coming Out Ministries is to ignite an unquenchable movement, restoring all men and women back to the image of their creator God. The moment that sin came into the world, when Adam and Eve sinned, what that did is that brought devastation to humanity. And the whole purpose of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about restoring us back to the image of our creator God. So what... What was the most important way that, that God expressed himself was through the relationship between Adam and Eve. When he created Adam and Eve and told them to be fruitful and multiply, the image of God was fully expressed in that relationship because we serve a life-giving creator. We serve a life-giving God. And when one man and one woman come together in a significant and, um, um, monogamous relationship, it creates life, and that's the life giver. And so it's now been broken down, not only through the LGBT issue, but also through some of the issues that are going on in this world. And I'm going to talk about that as well. Religion doesn't have a prayer. When it comes to equality, LGBT activists and their judicial allies have made sure that sexual behavior trumps religious liberty every time. Brothers and sisters, this is an overwhelming global issue. This isn't just happening in the United States. It isn't just happening in the European Union. And it's not just happening in Africa, India, Australia, New Zealand. It's going on everywhere. And Coming Out Ministries has been an international from 2012. And we have seen the onslaught, the devastation and the increase of LGBT acceptance, not only in the world, but now also in the church. We have these two positions in the church In Christianity. And for many years, I heard the condemnation. I saw the protests. I heard the the sermons from uh, Christianity in the pulpits talking about how God hated people like me and that there was no hope for us. And now after uh, after 40 years of listening to that, that was the reason why I left the church at 20 years old. Then coming back to the church at 40 years old, now I see that there's this completely opposite side. So the first side was basically saying that gays can't change and that God hates them. And now the new position in the church is that, oh, no, because gays can't change, God loves them. So now we have these two positions in the church that are fighting we have people that are prejudiced and hateful, saying that God hates gays. And now we have people that are totally um, uh, liberating and saying that, oh, yeah, because gays can't change, God loves them. Well, here's the problem. It's all based on a lie, both opinions. Because if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11, it says, such were some of you. Not only is it talking about the homosexuals, but it's also talking about the licentious, the adulterers, the gossips in the church, the murderers. It says that there is hope for everyone. And we have gotten it wrong in our church culture to say that gays can't change. Whether you hate them or you love them, it's still based on a lie. I wanna expose that today. We have these gay affirming groups in Christianity. And in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we have Kinship International. When I was coming out of the gay life into a relationship with Jesus Christ, after I was convicted that I needed to give up my boyfriend, I found Kinship International. And I thought to myself, how fantastic I can have my savior and my my, my uh, gay identity at the same time. And because of the counsel of a very dear friend, I finally was able to see that the way that kinship was interpreting the different scriptures, that this indeed was not permission. But at that point, I would have believed the lie. Just tell me a lie. Just tell me that I can have my boyfriend and my Savior. And as the Holy Spirit was illuminating my mind and I had to make a very difficult decision, was I going to hold on to my Savior or was I going to hold on to my boyfriend? And as difficult as that was, and it wasn't an easy decision for somebody like me to make, nor do I want to minimize the, um, the decision that other people have to make. But as I read the Word of God, I was experiencing Jesus in a way that I'd never experienced him before. And I started to realize that I needed my Savior more than I needed my boyfriend in this awareness, then change started to happen. And not only did I have to cooperate and surrender those things that kept me from moving forward in the new life that Jesus wanted me to go, I had to also submit to his will and also to his word. And you know what? I would not have known the beautiful healing that has been mine for the last 20 years had I not come to that awareness. It's very important that we make sure that what we're telling people is based on the truth because you can love somebody and they still be lost. The two institutions that were established at creation, Genesis 1, 27 and 28, was, was the wedding, the marriage uh, relationship between one man and one woman to be fruitful and multiply to replenish the earth. And the second uh, institution that was established in creation was also the seventh day, The Sabbath. Of which we are worshiping today. And so these are the two institutions that were uh, established at creation. And Ellen White is very clear. She says that they're a twin institution. When one is under attack, the other is soon to follow. What if God were watching to see how his church addresses the issue of marriage being under attack to also determine how we're going to respond when the Sabbath is under attack as well? I think it's important to not only understand the issue of LGBT, which is an affront to the the institution of marriage that God established in heaven. But greater than that, it also attacks the very identity of God, the image of God that was created in a male and a female coming together sexually. I think that you'll see that even biology, God was very specific about the relationship between one man and one woman. And when you take a look at this um, example that I put up here for you, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Listen, I'm just a hairdresser by nature. That's my background. And when you think about the uh, biology of what sex is like, here's an example, a very crude example on the left to really identify God's intention. What happens when a woman and a woman come together sexually? There is no life created. The same with two men. It's only through the example of a male and a female together that creates life. It's the life giver that is the very image of God. And therefore, the devil is going to do anything that he can to steal, kill, and destroy the precious gift that God has given to men and to women to come together sexually and to come together emotionally, physically, mentally. And not only does it create life, but it also is the fullest expression of the intimacy between God and man. Anything else takes away and destroys the precious image of God. We know that the devil felt cheated when, when God had bypassed the angels and gave the gift of creating life to man. We know that men were created a little bit lower than the angels. And so it must have infuriated the devil to think of this relationship that God had established between men and women. So we know that the devil is going to do anything that he can to destroy the precious bond, of a man and woman together and that is not just limited to the lgbt issue it's also listed with other things that are going on in the church today so what's next what is next in our world and i want to share with you this video clip and i'm just going to play the video while i talk the new thing on the scene is called polyamory polyamory is talking about relationships now that we have gay marriage which has been approved in the united states and many countries around the world now, the next thing on the scene is talking about a relationship where, two, where a straight couple may come together and just say, you know what, I, I am much, much too diverse to be trapped into just a relationship between one man and one woman. So now we have what's called polyamory. It's where three individuals are coming together and they're saying that this is who they're intended to be, a polyamorous relationship. And this is an example of just one of those couples. This is what I'm seeing, not only in heterosexual society, but also coming into the church as well. The, the, the breaking down of the boundaries between relationships. Not only are polyamorous relationships on the rise now with people talking about wanting acceptance and that marriage should be extended to these individuals, but we also have this group called NAMBLA. As a homosexual, I remember marching in the gay pride parades. I remember seeing this, this fringe group that would be marching with the, gay, um, with the gays on their parades and they were called namblet. And this is really a group of, of male homosexuals that are wanting legitimacy of having relationships with underage men or boys. And so they're saying, they're coming forward and saying that I was born this way and that they should be given the right to marry and to be involved with young children that are underage if it's in a consensual uh, relationship. So you can see that there are many areas that are breaking down in our society, all because we open the doors to LGBT marriage and acceptance. There are many things that are going around in the European Union. What I find interesting now is that pedophilia is even on the rise, and these are the next wave of people that are coming forward wanting clamoring for acceptance and also regulations to uh, to support their their understandings and their attractions. I want to move a little bit to one of the accusations that is made by coming out, at coming out ministries by the gay affirming groups and they call us reparative and conversion therapy. As a matter of fact, we were shut down in England because somebody accused us of that and all based on a lie. Coming Out Ministries was stopped from presenting in England. What was amazing is that God opened up the doors in Italy and we were able to share at six different churches in in Milan. We were also recorded in Italian and it was an amazing opportunity that God opened up when England was not uh, willing to bring us in. But reparative and conversion therapy, what is that? Reparative and conversion therapy is really in my opinion, nothing more than behavior modification. It's about making gay people straight. And I thought that that was the end game. I thought that that was the goal. But when I put my focus on behavior, then what I did is I lost sight of my savior. Let me tell you something. The goal of coming out ministries is not behavior modification. Anybody can offer you that. Psychology can offer you that. These different modalities and therapies are very harmful because they focus on behavior. And if it was just behavior alone, then many people could do that. But the problem is... We're talking about an intimate and divine restoration that only God can offer. We're not talking about behavior modification in Christianity. In the Adventist message, in the message that I heard, is that Jesus alone, through divine help, can restore right feelings, right motions, and right attractions. And so we're not promoting conversion or reparative therapy. We're not promoting behavior modification. We are pr- promoting divine restoration. There's a huge difference. And again, this is something that only God can offer. And I think that it bears um, weight to make the distinction. As I have been putting together my programs over the years, I found on Amazon that there are even books that are promoting uh, identity and and sexuality uh, to even preschoolers. And this is a page from a book called My Princess Boy. And his princess boy is all about making the transgender movement and, um, and, and um, the whole idea of changing your sex can be determined at a very young age. Imagine the harmful results of allowing children who can't even tell you what their favorite color is from one day to the next, be able to tell you what their sex is. And this book is an example from that. It, listen to this. It says that the, the dad of the transgender boy said, he tells my princess boy how pretty he looks in a dress. His dad holds his hand and tells him to twirl. My princess boy smiles and hugs his dad. All of this is about promoting the idea that your gender is, is fluid and that you can change back and forth and you can become the gender that you desire if you're not happy with the one you have. I wanna share with you this other uh, video talking about the non-binary issue that's going on in the world. This is the new term that's really not that new anymore, but non-binary is about a heightened uh, intelligence where we no longer identify uh, according to our biology, but we identify according to our brain. Take a listen.
4: The single most common question I get asked is, are you a boy or are you a girl? The simple answer is no. But then the response after that is usually a very confused, what? So here is the explanation. I am non-binary and that means I identify as something other than male or female. Our society and history has led us to believe over thousands of years that there are only people who are male and people who are female. But that is because past society has based gender on physical sex. Let me see what it is, nurse. what a strapping young lad. <laughs> it's outdated. The truth is that gender is in the brain, and physical sex is a completely separate and different thing that is private to every individual. What people really mean when they're asking the boy or girl question is creepily. So, what genitals do you have? to realize it doesn't matter what living meat skeleton you've been born in it's what you feel that defines you non-binary is a blanket term for anyone who identifies out with the binary gender there are endless ways of being non-binary and no two people identify in the same way so just remember gender is what you feel not what your parts are don't be afraid to be yourself
1: do you see the contradiction in many of the statements that this young woman makes she says that gender is in the brain when biology tells us something quite the opposite. No matter what I do on the outside, no matter how I dress myself, no matter how I style my hair, no matter what I do, my biology is written in my DNA. You can mutilate the body to make it appear the opposite sex, but you cannot change your DNA. John Hopkins University in Maryland of the United States, they have even stopped their transgender surgeries because they recognize that after years of research, that the transgender surgeries do not give the patient the desired sex change that they seek. And so here we know that through our biology, through the, through the very DNA that God was very specific about the gender that he gave to each one of us. And so by identifying by the thoughts in our mind is really going not only against nature, but it's really a lie. It's a deception. It's confusion because your body is, is definitely male or female, and we're not talking about somebody that's um, born with ambiguous genitalia. That's a birth defect. What we're talking about is the rejection of a biology that people were actually born into, like somebody that is completely male, rejecting their masculinity, wanting to be female, and vice versa. She reduces the creation of God down to a meat skeleton, Is that interesting? And the confusion that comes that we are identified by what's in our brain and not what is our biology. So I wanted to make sure that we understand the distinction of what's going on in the world, because you know what? Identity is everything. Our identity drives our actions. And so now we have this term that's coming into Adventism as well as Christianity, saying that I can identify as a gay Christian. Even at Andrews University, there is the new definition that you can actually, in a statement about homosexuality, you can identify as a gay Christian, but you can't practice that. Do you see the contradiction even in the term? And so let's break this down just a little bit. Gay Christian is the new identity that's being accepted in the church. And so what is my identity? And in Christ, my identity is in him. According to Galatians 2.20, I am crucified in Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. It is therefore Christ that lives in me. And the life that I once lived in the flesh, I live no longer. I now live by the faith of God who loved me and died for me. So again, as a Christian, my identity is completely in the Christian. So when you take gay and make that the pronoun to your identity in Christ, now you're saying that the prefix is actually the priority identity. Therefore, first and foremost, I'm gay, and then I'm a Christian. Do you see the contradiction in this? Do you see how what that does is it destroys my identity in Christ? But ultimately, what it does is it makes null and void sin, If I can take a a sinful temptation, and if I can put it onto my identity in Christ, I have now legitimized sin to where the Bible in 1 John 1, 9 says to confess your sins. If you will confess your sins that Jesus is faithful and just not only to forgive, but to cleanse from all unrighteousness. Therefore, if I identify as a gay Christian, I have now made null and void homosexuality as a sin. And it's now part of my identity, my first part of my my identity in Christ. And that in itself is a contradiction. If we as a church legitimize sin, then what happens is we are not saving people. We are losing people. That as the young um, video, the woman, the young woman in the video said earlier, it's not, it's not losing, it's not saving people. They're still lost, even though we love them. And I put up these two comics because homosexuality is considered no longer sin. It's now considered in. It's, it's popular. It's being moved around the world. And we have to stand for the truth. But we also have to say it in such a way that people are compelled by the evidence that we put before them. In 2 Peter 3:17, ye therefore, beloved, seeing that you know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. We have to hang on to the truth as it is through the Bible, because it is not hate speech to tell somebody that change is possible. It's hate speech to, to love somebody in their sin and to think that or to promote that they are okay where they are where did the whole issue of identity come from? And I put up this YouTube um, um, quote for you if you wanna go to the the YouTube video to to listen to more. But if Hugh Hefner, was the poster boy of the sexual revolution, then Alfred Kinsey was the father of the revolution. But that is not the only thing that joins these men together. Both of them were overt rebels against puritanical Christianity, devoting their lives to liberate humanity from what they perceived to be the bondage of a sterile and restrictive morality. So the man in the middle with the bow tie, that is Alfred Kinsey. He was a homosexual pedophile masochist. And this is the man that we can credit sexual revolution to. In the 30s and 40s, he did a vast, uh, a vast study, basically understanding and studying human sexuality. But what he did is he gave stopwatches and research information to fathers that were molesting their daughters and grandfathers that were molesting their children. He also did studies about homosexuality based on the prison system rather than the human populace. And he came up with the uh, with the uh, with the understanding that homosexuality is an identity, his studies included research on a on a baby on, on a young baby girl, and he basically said that even children, even infants, have uh, sexual orgasms. And in his studies, in twenty four hours, he said that a baby had twenty two orgasms, and he determined that information based on vomiting screaming and passing out this is the man where we get the gay identity today the lgbt acceptance and also the education of young people that children are sexual and all of that came from this man here the gospel is meant to change the sinner not the sinner to change the gospel to suit their sin the old nature born of blood and the will of the flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of god The old ways, the hereditary tendencies, the former habits must be given up for grace is not inherited. The new birth consists in having new motives, new tastes, and new tendencies. And I want to stop here for just a moment. On my own, I cannot have those. Those are the gifts of grace. Those are the gifts of the Holy Spirit to come in and to change. But I must be willing to surrender those old feelings and to give up those things so that God can fill me with the new feelings and the new thoughts. Those who are begotten unto a new life by the Holy Spirit have become partakers of the divine nature. And in all their habits and practices, they will give evidence of their relationship to Christ. This is not a change ministry. This is a divine nature being implanted in in men and women of God. When men who claim to be Christians retain all their natural defects of character and disposition, in what does their position differ from that of the worldling? They do not appreciate the truth as a sanctifier and a refiner. They have not been born again. This is from Bible Commentary, Volume 6, page 1101. There's a booklet that's being released, um, and it's called Guiding Families of LGBT Loved Ones. And this booklet um, is a very artful piece of deception. This booklet talks about how we need to love and to embrace our LGBT children and our loved ones. And it's very powerful because I believe it's the love that has been missing in our church for many years. It's the love that was necessary for my own walk with Jesus Christ as I left the church at 20 because there was no love in the church. So then when I came back at 40 years old into this church that still was unloving and unkind, what I found was that we needed um, resources to basically help understand not only the struggle with the LGBT understanding, but also how to minister as a church perspective. Instead of guiding families, I believe that this booklet is really gagging families. The booklet goes on to say that parents should not pray with their children. Parents should not impress upon their children their own principles of their religion. Instead, that they should love and accept their children where they are. By loving and accepting our children where they are, we are keeping them in a lost state. And therefore, it is basically cutting them off from the grace, the divine nature that God wants to implant in each one of us. I believe that this is a a very dangerous resource. And it's being promoted not only through Australia, New Zealand, as well as Europe and into Norway and um, Sweden. This is actually a young woman that I had the opportunity to interview and she was involved at Andrews University in their Safe Haven group. And this group is an LGBTQ support group at Andrews University, but she talks about the difference between what she was hearing at the Safe Haven group, but also what she was hearing through Coming Out Ministries. Let me play that for you now.
2: After I decided that I don't want to have anything to do with this lifestyle anymore, I also decided that I'm going to stop listening to those music, watch those um, movies or shows that are like um, elevating the LGBTQ lifestyle because I felt like those things were would take me back because of course they they are emotion they 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 work with your emotions like hey how do you remember how that felt in the past like being in a relationship with a woman so they bring all those memories that you don't want to have because you know that i know that they they would pull me back into looking for for a, a woman to find that comfort and find that like um identity with her um since i'm um i'm studying counseling i'm very aware of the things that um influence you through what you see what you hear and everything that can come through um those places like yeah like the scripture said by beholding we become changed and i felt like if i keep looking at the things i will go back to where i was i was have i was being in the um communication with coming out ministry and also i was going to the group but um i I made a vow with christ and i realized i mean this group was good to me till one point but i don't want to stay there i don't want to stay at being affirmed personally i was feeling that this was um grooming me to go back you know it's nothing against anyone in the group, but it's not, it's not the environment that I was looking for because I, I, had a pers- I, I, had, I have a personal journey with Jesus and I realized that it's not going to help me. I stayed with the communication with Coming Out Ministry because there's where I, f- I found like Jesus too because we were all focusing on Jesus. You know, so everyone was going through their thing, through their problems, through their um um through their um, struggles with same-sex attraction. But we had we were focusing on Jesus, so we were not focusing on ourselves and how we feel because Jesus wants us to change. He doesn't want us to stay there. He wants me to change. Yeah, I kept. In communication with um, coming out ministry, we had like the prayer um, on the line, and that was helping me a lot. Like people would tell their um, experiences, we would support each other, pray for each other, and I would feel good. I would feel um, affirming Christ, <laughs> not in not in me, not in them, but affirming Christ. So, um, like the the scripture said by beholding we become and I was beholding Jesus. So I'm not lingering on those things and I feel such a peace that I have never felt before in my life.
1: (laughs) I love Genevieve's um, story about how she talks about the, the conflict that was in her mind about What do I do with the thoughts and the feelings, the history and the memory? And making a decision that to follow Christ means that I have to surrender all of that and move into my identity in Christ. Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as he thinks in his heart, that's what he is. Leonard Ravenhall, I think, sums it up pretty good. He said, oh, I'm just a saved sinner. That's like saying that you're a married bachelor. That's like saying that you're an honest thief or a pure harlot. It is impossible to identify as a gay Christian, no more than it would be to say that I'm an adulterating Christian, or a lying Christian, or a Sabbath-breaking Christian. All of those identities we know are a contradiction, and we have to take homosexuality back and put it back into the pot of all the other abominations in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 licentiousness, adultery, fornication, all of those things, gossip, lying, murdering, all of those things are things that are an abomination to God. And I think it's important to point out that just because somebody has same-sex attraction does not make them an abomination. It's the behavior that God calls an abomination. And so how far does a door have to be open for a snake to get in? Let's just say, for instance, I have my front door is open about an inch, a very small amount of space, but there's a six foot long snake. If my front door is open just one inch, how much of that snake can get in? And when it comes to issues of identity, we have to be very clear. You cannot use any type of sin temptation to identify in your identification with Jesus Christ, because that is opening up the door. And we know that even an inch The whole entire snake can get in. Therefore, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. All right, and so there's a propaganda going on. And this propaganda is real. deceptive and it, it takes groups of people and they use the media as a way to change not only uh uh so- society as their understanding but also their prejudices listen to this propaganda video
4: So to break them down if you just cleverly
1: so here you see what's happened in the Caribbean is LGBT acceptance is very low But they know that if they take their sports icon their hero and if they cross the borders cross the line and put him in a dress then that slowly starts to break down their prejudices and this is all being used through the media not only is this being worked through um different countries but also around the world did you know that madonna back in the 1980s she was interviewed by a gay publication and they said why do you put so many references to homosexuality in your music videos And understanding the movement of the media, she said this. She said, at first, people will be disgusted by it. She said, but some people will actually be aroused by it. And she said, and as people see it over and over again, she said, eventually, it won't be a big deal at all to them. Now, here we are living in 2020, and we can see the power of what those videos um, has done. What is wrong with this picture? If you can take a look at this picture, and unfortunately, I'm not able to receive your feedback, but let me just take you through the process. Here we have this beautiful image of the sinner taking on the robe of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And anyone would look at this picture and just see so much compassion in this. But as I look at this image, what I start to realize is somebody pointed out to me like, wait a minute, look, Jesus is covering over his filthy rags. And is that biblical? Does Jesus really just cover our sins? And a lot of people think that that's in itself a very compassionate picture, but there's something wrong with this. Jesus doesn't cover our filthy rags. He asks us to take off our filthy rags, and Jesus covers our nakedness. Revelation 3.18 says, I advise of you to buy of me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I to to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So Jesus never covers over our sin. Instead, he, he covers our nakedness. That means that I have to take off my old identities. I have to take off the things that define me. And that now my definition of who I am is based on Jesus Christ and his righteousness. I want to um, bring us to a close with this ending um, presentation about Isaiah chapter four and verse one. This to me was a startling revelation about where we are in the church today. Isaiah chapter four, verse one. And in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man saying, we will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. So what does a woman represent in the Bible? A church. And so a woman represents a church, and we know that Jesus represents the groomsman. He represents the groom to the bride, and the bride, of course, is his church. But here we have seven women or seven churches taking hold of one man, meaning Jesus Christ, saying, we will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. So here's a group of people a church that want to eat their own bread and wear their own clothing, but they want to take the name of Jesus Christ. Look at this. So what does bread and apparel represent in the Bible? Well, we know that bread equals the word of God. And we know that garment equals the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So here we have seven churches, and they want to interpret the word of God the way they want to interpret it. And they refuse the robe of righteousness, but would rather wear their own garments instead. But they want the name of Christianity. They want to be called a Christian when they neither acknowledge the word of God nor the garment of God. And Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 1 gives us a very powerful warning to the church about the misunderstanding of what's going on. 2 Timothy 3 verse 5, I believe, is the warning that we all need to take very seriously. It talks about a group of people having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof and from such we are advised to turn away from. Let's break this down for just a moment. They have a form of godliness, meaning they accept Jesus Christ as their savior. There's a group of people, the uh, kinship group and the other gay affirming group, and many Adventists within our own denomination are saying that homosexuality is okay because gays can't change. Therefore, they are denying the power of Jesus Christ to come in and to transform their lives. And from these people, we are advised to stay away. This is not a message of love. This is a message that completely destroys the power of Jesus Christ to transform lives. It cuts people off from being able to experience Jesus' overwhelming victory. What Jesus accomplished on the cross 2,000 years ago, I have access to today. Do not deny me the opportunity to be cleansed and to be healed by Jesus Christ. If that's available for everybody else, but not for the LGBT individual, then your religion is a farce. And that we are not to deny the power of Jesus Christ, but rather to show people, to point them to the power that Jesus has to give them victory in their life. Again, we are not talking about behavior modification. We're not talking about white-knuckling your experience. And the focus is not about being straight. The focus is about being holy like Jesus Christ is holy. And in that process of surrendering the history, the memory, the, the, the feelings and the attractions, by denying that, by emptying ourselves of that, by denying those things that had been in my history, then I was empty and able to receive the life-giving healing that Jesus wanted to give to me by what he accomplished on that cross. It is not Christian love to tell people that they are denied this power, but rather this is our responsibility is to love them and to point them to the power of Jesus Christ to transform their life. If we sell out the truth in order to attract the masses, then what do we really offer them? Titus 2 verse 14 says, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, not just some of it, but all, and purify unto himself a peculiar people that are zealous of good works. Isaiah 5 verse 20. says, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. This is a warning that I believe is very apparent today in our church as well. Not only in society, but all Christianity today, we have Christian counselors that are advising young people that have same-sex attraction that this is their only recourse, and that Jesus does not heal people from these behaviors, but rather loves them in it. Brothers and sisters, we will be held accountable for the position that we take. And while it is not an excuse to reject and to abuse or to deny people access to God, it is our delight and our opportunity and responsibility to love people into the church. But while they're not ready for membership and they're not ready for baptism, they do belong in the church because Jesus died for sinners. Jesus became sin for us that we might experience his life. And so we have to change the politics in our church and to recognize that the power of God is still available today. And again, remember in verse 11, such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Putting it this way, this is what Kate Jenner, uh, who used to be um, Bruce Jenner, one of the greatest uh, athletes in the world. He won the Olympics back in the 70s. This is the man that was considered the greatest male athlete in the world. And now he's transitioned to be transgender. And he's calling himself the new normal. And so if you had any idea the expense that it took for him to become female, It costs millions of dollars for him to look as female as he looks today. But he's calling this his new normal. But this is not natural at all. Because of the millions of dollars that it costs to to mutilate the body and to make it appear female, this is not natural. I want to share with you in closing what natural really looks like. This is a woman that actually had a sex change and become a man. In the case of Belgium's Nathan uh, Virilis, born Nancy, she was allowed to die by lethal injection on the grounds of unbearable psychological suffering. You're not going to hear these stories in the media because the media has an agenda to make the transgender um, a transition to make it normal and to make it acceptable. And this was reported by the Belgium News. This woman was actually given permission for an assisted lethal injection on the grounds of unbearable suffering. She was ready to celebrate her new birth, but when she looked in the mirror, she was disgusted with herself. Transgender studies show the exceptionally high suicide rates. A whopping 41% will attempt suicide and 30% of transgender will actually commit suicide. These transgender surgeries do not give these people what they desire. And I want to take you to this. To this, here's, this is an interesting um, statistic by Dr. Paul McHugh. You can take a picture or do a screenshot of this. You can listen to uh, his understanding that, that the sex change surgery is collaborating with madness. These are his own words. And this is another um, YouTube video talking about the fraud of the transgender medicine. This is Dr. Quentin Van Meter who is on the American College of Pediatricians. And he also talks about how the medical science is accepting this lie that goes against science all to be politically correct. And you wanna take a screenshot of that as well. But I wanna share with you in closing these final thoughts. Did you know that a mother's milk actually produces a different biological recipe for sons than it does for daughters? That's how specific God is in his intentionality between males and females. This is a story of a friend of mine, and she lived as a male for many years. She was born a girl, a biological girl. She lived in an abusive and violent drug-addicted family, She would wake up many times and there would be blood on the floor or on the walls. One of her parents would be in in, uh, the hospital. And this little girl grew up and she did not want to be a girl. She wanted to be a boy. Her parents had no religion. They didn't care. And this girl grew up dressing as a boy and she would fantasize about her wedding, but she didn't fantasize about being the bride. She fantasized about being the groom. And so as she grew up, she was 16 years old. She had been molested by boys and girls in the school grounds. Um, she felt that her femininity was a liability and she would cover herself up with man, uh, masculine clothing. She would hear the voice inside of her head saying that your name is Ray and that you should be a man and not a woman. And as she was living her life, she determined at 20 years old that she was going to have that sex change. And so she went to a psychologist who approved her to go on the hormones and said that if you live as a man for two years, you can have a sex change. And so as Ray was living this life, he would look into the mirror many hours of a day and he would hear the voice of Ray say, you shouldn't have those breasts and you shouldn't have soft skin. You need muscles. You need facial hair. And eventually, as she was approved to have the hormones, the voice of Ray would say, you know what, you're so pathetic, you should just kill yourself. You shouldn't even live. No one will ever take you the way you are. The depression was so strong that Ray couldn't even get out of bed. But she called the only person that she thought would listen to her, who was a Christian friend that lived many states away. She called her friend on the phone and she said, I'm, I'm suicidal. I, I don't want to live anymore. And, and she said, you know, that I go by Ray now because if anyone calls me my female name, I get really angry. And her friend said to her, she goes, I'll call you whatever you want. She said, just come to me. Just come to me. And, her, and she said, I don't have any money. And so her friend paid for her airline ticket for her to fly to her. Instead of staying for three days, she stayed for three months because Ray knew that if, if she went back home, that she would kill herself. And during those three months, her friend never judged her. Her friend never called her by her female name. She, she loved her. She prayed over her. And as she was praying for her, one day, Ray, Ray himself said, you know, I've never prayed before. And for the first time, Ray prayed and said, Lord, how do you see me? And the next image that Ray got in her mind was this picture of a beautiful woman with long flowing hair, uh, wearing a long dress and just praising the Lord. And instantly, Ray said, no, that's not me. And she dismissed that. But as time kept going, she started to open up the word of God as her friend was praying for her and loving her. Ray started to read the word of God and she read in Psalms 139 about God's pursuit, about how you can go up to the highest mountain or down to the bottom of the sea and that you can hide in darkness, but darkness is the same as God. And that God's thoughts towards her are as countless as the sands of the seashore. And then it said that God knit her delicate inward parts together in her mother's womb. And that started to bring healing to Ray. And Ray started to realize that, that, that God was blessing her with femininity and that God made her this way. But she couldn't make that change. It wasn't like a switch on the wall that she could just flip. But what she did is she started to grow out her hair, a very long process. And as she started to grow out her hair, she started to replace the articles of clothing in her wardrobe. And so during time, as she was claiming what God had claimed her to be, as she was being transformed by divine power rather than just by behavior modification, this is who Ray is today as Marissa. And I want you to take a look at who Marissa is today. This did not cost any money. There was not, no surgeries that were done. There was no hormones involved. This is who Ray is all because of the transforming divine power that God places within us and makes the transformation of us from the outside if marissa would have had that that body altering destructive surgery she never would have been able to marry her husband three years ago and after they married if she would have destroyed her reproductive system she never would have been able to deliver not one but two children as her family you see it's not enough that we tell people the truth that this is not in god's intention for the lgbt community but what we have to do is we have to show the world that god's way is better than what the world is handing out the best that the world can offer us is these mind and body altering drugs and surgeries that are going to steal kill and destroy the creative gift that god has given to each one of us but the restoration The divine intervention of what God does in a person's life restores us back to the image that God had intended for each one of us. Brothers and sisters, remember, with compassion and with long-suffering, we are to offer the world something better than what they have. Otherwise, they would never want it to begin with. I hope that this helps to, to bring some understanding to the issue that we're dealing with in the world. But I also hope that it speaks to you as a fellow Christian, the great compassion that we need to have with people that are struggling, with people that are resistant and even offended by our religion. But I believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can transform lives through his power and, and through his examples. So thank you again for this opportunity. I'd like to pray in closing, if I may. I really want to leave up this image. Let me pray, if, if you don't mind. Of course. Heavenly Father, I thank you for people like Marissa. I thank you, Lord, for these stories that are countless, that go around the world, talking about your power to restore and to, um, to renew us. And Lord, we're not talking about behavior changes. We're talking about complete and divine restoration. And Lord, that is the power of what you accomplished on the cross uh, 2,000 years ago to restore, not only for me, But to every person that's listening, whether they are heterosexual or struggling with same-sex attraction or whatever their issues may be, thank you, Lord, for these examples. Thank you, Lord, for what you've accomplished. And I pray, Father, that we as a church would bind together, even though we know that we will be under scrutiny and under great um, attack and persecution. But, Lord, for that one individual that may be added to the ranks of heaven, Lord, it would be worth it. And I pray, Father, that you would prepare us and help us, Lord, to stand firm, but also to stand lovingly and compassionately towards those, Lord, who truly don't know you and understand you. I thank you for this time to be able to speak. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank
0: you so much, Michael, um, for your presentation. I've, uh, I already saw that there are two questions. Um, I don't know if I said that at the beginning, but we now have 30 minutes for um, a for about 25 minutes for a uh, Q&A session. So Bring it on. Can, yeah, so you can speak freely. You can type in your questions if you prefer that.
5: And yeah, let's use this time to talk. Hi, Michael. Uh, I'm Rebecca. I just kind of want to say uh, I'm so happy uh, that um, you're leading this ministry. Um, I, one, have not had or struggled with these tendencies, but I've had many, many friends, and I still have many friends that have struggled with these tendencies, homosexual tendencies, Um, and I was always frustrated at how the Church was either avoiding um, to address, avoiding addressing the issue or when they did address the issue it was um, what I thought to be um, really unbiblical as the two basically approaches that you presented um, um, early on in your presentation so I was just wondering um, how much success have you had to in, in, in bringing your ministry and your um, approach to dealing with this uh in the church to our churches our leaders to kind of you know train them um and um help us address these issues from what i think is the best you know the best approach which is a very biblical approach um that again even if you're not struggling i guess with these tendencies the way you presented the message today it just helps anyone who has any kind of um, you know, facing any sort of struggle in terms of, you know, sins or ten- sinful tendencies. So, yeah, just curious of how much success have you had in bringing this forward to, to the leaders of our church.
1: Wow, thank you, Rebecca. That's a loaded question, girl. But let me unpack it a little bit, if I can. So here's my understanding. This has been the response that we've received from the church. And, and then I might have to, you might have to remind me on the other side. But um, the response that we've had from the church has been, completely both sides of it. We have churches that um, are so open to it and they're desperate for understanding information about how to relate to the gay community, how to love their individuals. You know, we have a prayer line that meets three times a week. We also have a former's prayer line for people that used to be gay that are wanting to walk out of their homosexuality you know, we have a lot of resources set up to help um, relate to these people, but people want information. There are a ton of people in the church that want information. Unfortunately, there are voices that are are spreading the lie that God is okay with homosexuality, it's no problem, and that you can be in a same-sex relationship, and that God loves you, and that the truest definition of God's love is this acceptance, which is really hate speech, because you are trapping people in this lie that you're okay where you are. And ultimately you will not be um, you will not be given access to the kingdom. You know, it's difficult to tell somebody that the way that they're living is wrong and the church needs information. And we have a long way to go in learning how to love people. And that love does not bash people over the head or give them ultimatums. Instead, we have to be patient. I think of Ministry of Healing page 143 as a powerful, powerful tool for the church in how to relate to LGBT issues. It it actually, it doesn't even say that it relates to them, but it's the overall answer. It says Christ's method alone brought lasting results. Number one, you meet people where they are. If somebody wants to go by their their, uh, transgender name, it's not gonna hurt you to call them by that name, because you need to relate to them where they are, and you need to represent yourself as somebody who cares about their better good. Then you minister to their need. How do you minister to their need? They might not even know Jesus Christ. And so, you know, the gay issue or the transgender issue isn't a problem to somebody that's unchurched. They need to know Jesus Christ. And as you share the love of Jesus Christ for them, as they pursue Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit does incredible things to bring conviction to their heart and to their mind. The third step is he won their confidence. We have to win people's confidence. You know, it's not like you can get up in someone's face and say, you need to deny your uh, gay relationship or you're going to go to hell. There's no compassion in that. There's no understanding in that. And when we use the words like abomination and sin, people on the other side of church don't even relate to that. We have to use words that encouraging and create relationship and dialogue. And as we love that individual and win their confidence, only then did Jesus say, come and follow me. That in itself is a true message for the church. We can't be permissive, but we can't be unloving and rejecting they must come together. And, you know, while somebody is not ready for church membership, they do belong in the church. And I think that that's a really important part to say. It's like, just because um, we accept you as you are, doesn't mean that God leaves you where you are either. So while everybody belongs in the church, whether they're gay, straight, pedophile, or whatever that is, we have to make sure that they're not baptized or that they're not given uh, membership and responsibilities in the church until they understand that this is not the life that God has for them, and they have to show changes. An example that a lot of people miss, and maybe this will help you, Rebecca, in your question, is if a straight couple were living together and they were unmarried, and let's say they have three kids, are they ready for membership? You know, Are they ready to be baptized? Of course not. You know, they're, they're still living in a in a life that God does not approve. Now, I never use the word sin, but that's what the implication is, right? Your life is not in accordance to God's word. He has something better and greater for you. So until you get married or until you separate your family, you're not ready for membership and for leadership in our church. But you do belong here. Come back to potluck. You know, come over to our house tonight after Sabbath. We'll play games and we'll have popcorn. Whatever that is, we need to be uncompromisingly loving and at the same time still uphold the truth of Jesus Christ. So if a, if a heterosexual couple that's unmarried is not ready for baptism— Then somebody that's uh, lesbian or gay or bisexual or transgender that's living in that life, they're not ready for baptism either. But they are ready to come into our churches and to experience um, a divine kind of love that helps them to understand that they are part of something, even if they're not ready for the next step. And I think that that's a really difficult part for the churches to understand. So Rebecca, what was the second part of your question, please?
5: Oh yeah, sorry. You know, yeah, it was more um, around, you know, how can we have or pa- encourage our pastors to open up the conversations, in, in these conversations wow. in our in our churches. Because I was coming, I'm, I'm coming from a particularly more conservative Adventist community where people, you know, treat this um, topic still as very taboo, and if a young person raises the question, they shy away from, you know, engaging the conversation and when they have engaged a the conversation, they've done it in a very sort of harsh, I thought, and way, and you know, sort of um, senseless. Um, and so, yeah, that's that. You know, how how do we sort of present and you know, train our leaders, our pastors, or our youth uh, leaders to sort of bring in the conversation and discuss it because it's it's important. We have friends, we have family, maybe uh, dealing with that, and how do we uh, how do we support them?
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Rebecca. And and the way to do that is to bring Coming Out Ministries into the discussion. It's not an easy topic. And a lot of people are really uncomfortable with it. We're not. We'll talk about it. We've been talking about it for 10 years. And, and it's interesting because We'll come in and we'll start the dialogue, but we'll help to direct it and to guide it in a way that's biblical and also loving so we can tear down the prejudice, but also tear down the lies about what sexuality looks like in the church, what redemption looks like in the church, how to be loving and compassionate. So we have resources. If you if you can't bring us into your church, you can certainly go to the website and you can look at the resources. We have 50 30-minute interviews that we did for 3ABN, 50 of them, and they're only 30 minutes long. You can take one of those videos every week, and you can show that for, what, two and a half years before you exhaust them all, and you can have a discussion about each and every one of those topics. We talk about um, uh, transgenderism. We talk about homophobia in the church. We talk about lesbian issues, gay issues. We even talk about transgender issues and, and pornography addiction. You know, the bigger issue in the church today is really pornography more than it is homosexuality. But we are willing and able to address it in a Christian way, a biblical way that doesn't expose or train children to do bad things, but rather than to help address the topic in a way to be redemptive, not only for the church, but also for the world at large.
5: Yeah. Yeah, thank you, question, no,
1: sorry,
5: I, Yeah, no, because, sorry, just to clarify where I was coming from. Sometimes, you know, I've had probably friends... That I wanted to invite the church, and I was worried that people don't know how to react to a person that you know is gay, but is interested to know more. And I understand it's, it; it can be tricky, right? Because you have to have a loving approach, yet still biblical. And uh, I find that a lot of our members don't really understand that, and they haven't been trained thought, or thought how to do that. And um, yeah. Um,
1: so be, Rebecca, to, that. Yeah, that's the difficult challenge in the church today is, you know, our churches aren't ready to bring in certain individuals because they would not find love in our church. And of course, you know, many times people come into the church and the first thing out of a a well-meaning church member's mouth can be the one thing that drives them away and to say that Christians are hateful human beings. Yes, we need to educate the church first so that we can get them ready to receive um, everybody that comes into the churches. Thank you for that.
5: Thank
1: you as well thank you
0: sure um there's a question in the chat from la um saying instead of saying they can't change how do you advise us to support and approach our fellow brothers and sisters um i think you already explained that um right now i don't know if you want to go into it again
1: Let me let me just recap it quickly. And so Mm -hmm. if somebody says that they can't change, you just buy it, you know, you accept them where they are. You know, if they say that that's their truth, you know, there's a phrase that your reality or your perception is your reality, how you perceive is the reality that you move off of. It's not my job to to contradict you. If that's your reality that you can't change and you were born that way, then you know what? I'm not going to get into a conflict with you. Let's focus. Let's change the, the, um, the attention then. Why don't you focus on Jesus Christ? Why don't you focus on the fact that Jesus loves them right where they are? That no matter where you are, Jesus loves you. And as you show them who Jesus Christ is, the Holy Spirit brings conviction. Oh, oh this is really cool, Monica. Now I know why the question was asked. So there was this really cool story. There's a, um, a woman named Lisa, and she does Bible work in California. She was studying for two years with a gay male couple. And she called me and she said listen these guys are ready for baptism they understand the sabbath they the state of the dead they love jesus and they said what does the bible say about our homosexual relationship and she not wanting to say anything she said mike i love these guys they they're like family to me they've been in my living room every friday for two years and she said i just don't want to say anything that would be offensive to them she said what should i do and she asked them for two weeks so that she could study up on it and, and bring information back to them. And they agreed. And I said to her, I said, why, why, if the Holy Spirit has been moving them, why if you have been studying with them for two years and the Holy Spirit's been, you know, opening up their eyes to all these other truths? I said, why would the Holy Spirit need you to study it and then bring it back to them? And I said, why don't you open the word of God together with them? And why don't you ask the Holy Spirit to you know to impress them what the truth is on that and that's what she did the following week she went through leviticus and romans chapter one and first corinthians and jude and what she did is she opened up those words and as they went over those scripture verses these young men they said wow oh my they were startled by what they read you know she did it the right way she she met them where they were she loved them she she won their confidence and then she showed them the truth. You know, that shouldn't be your first Bible study with a gay person is what homosexuality is in the Bible. It should be about the love of Jesus Christ. Let them be one to Jesus Christ and then let the Holy Spirit do his job and bring it about when the time is right. It's a great question, Monica. I'm glad we had the opportunity to answer it again. There's another question there about, Um, asexuality. Did you want to address that?
0: Yes, sure. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay, so the question is, um, let me go back to it, it said, is it wrong to be, oh, to being asexual, is it wrong? For for a person that may be struggling with asexuality, um, I don't see that that's wrong, but I see that it's a sign of damage. I think that there's been been some emotional damage that has led to that, you know, because God did give us these natural feelings. He gave us hormones and those hormones were were intended to be shared with somebody at the right time and place. And so if somebody is neither attracted to males or to females, you know, to either sex, if they're asexual, that means that they have no sexual drive at all. I mean, there could be a hormone imbalance. There could be a physical, you know, problem with that. But I would tend to think that there's more of emotional damage that's happened. Maybe there was molestation in the past. Maybe there was rejection. Maybe there was isolation. Maybe there was abandonment issues. And for this person, maybe an emotional relationship is just too threatening or too confrontational. And so um, there are reasons why that person is asexual. Oh, this is perfect time. I want to read to you this quote that I think really sums it up and that God takes into consideration everything that happens to us. And I apologize if you've heard it before, but it's really my go-to. But I think it really addresses somebody that may be struggling with asexuality, homosexuality, sexual addiction, pornography, whatever it is, listen to this. It's from Education, page 294. It says, the divine teacher bears with the erring through all their perversity. His love does not grow cold. His efforts to win us do not cease. With outstretched arms, he waits to welcome again and again the erring, the rebellious, and even the apostate. His heart is touched with the helplessness of the little child who was subject to rough usage. Do you hear that? He realizes what happened to you in your past. He knows what happened. He, he takes all of that into consideration. He says, the cry of human suffering never reaches his ear in vain, though all of us are precious in his sight. It's the rough the sullen and even the stubborn dispositions that draw most heavily upon his sympathy and love because he traces from cause to effect. The one who's most easily tempted, the one who's most inclined to err, is a special object of his attention. (laughs) That just wipes me out. That That is the kind of God that I can serve. That's the kind of compassion that we need to have in the church to take into consideration that what happened in their lives may have been devastating and profoundly disrupting to their, to their psyche and that that may be what they're going through. And when the church starts to realize that homosexuality is not the problem, that there are usually problems that go much deeper than that. And we start to have compassion for people that we otherwise wouldn't see or have hope for. And you know what? I think for the person that struggles with asexuality, there are definitely reasons why you're where you're at, but God is patient and loving and he compels you. He doesn't want you to just behave right. He wants you to have restored healing. He wants to heal you. Anyway, I think that's a, a sincere question.
0: Would you mind sharing again um, where the quote is from you just read?
1: Uh huh. Education, page two hundred and ninety-four. I'm even. I'll even post it in the chat. Thank you.
0: Are there any other questions from you guys? Oh,
1: can I? while you're waiting for another question Uh, coming Out ministries has a free documentary. Did I say free, free documentary, and it's called journey interrupted. And if you go to comingoutministries.org, you can download a free copy in German, French, Deutsch. Let's see what else. Russian uh, 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 Afrikaans, Thai, and English if you want. Did I say Portuguese and Spanish? How about that? 12 different languages it's been translated into and you can have it for free.
0: Awesome, it's
1: a great offer.
0: I hope you all wrote it down, but I think you posted it in, yeah, you posted it in the chat as well.
1: I did, I'll do it again.
0: <laughs> yeah, so feel free to, to ask your questions um out loud or type them in. Um, in the meantime, um, I also have a question. I have been talking about this topic with uh, a couple people in the past and I was wondering because you you always um or well, not always but you just also referred to a lot of the like psychological or like damage or or abuse or whatever happened. Um, that is often connected to these sexual um, problems, or, yeah, I don't know how to say that, but, um, yeah, and some of the people I talked to, they were like, yeah, that's, like, one group of, like, gay people or or, or trans people, and then there is others that don't have that, uh, like, they don't have problems like that and they are happy and I don't know. So what is your, your answer to, to like a comment like this?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, Monica. And, and it's interesting because what that does is that diminishes the, the trauma that happened in my life you know, and say, oh, well, you know, what about people that are born that way? Or what about people that came from perfect homes? And I think, you know, even that's kind of a a statement of denial to say that you came from a perfect, well-adjusted home and that there was no uh, dysfunction in your home. You know, we've been Mm -hmm. living in a culture of 6,000 years of degenerated generations, you know, and and the Bible says that each generation was worse than the first. And Ellen White makes so many uh, references to the fact that, you know, we're living in the worst of times morally. And so, okay, Let me give it to you. If you want to say that you had a perfect home, you know, if you want to live in that delusion because every family has dysfunction to it. But let's just say that you came from a perfect home. And so, all right, so you weren't molested and you weren't exposed to all these things. And by the way, for the record, it's well over 80% of transgendered and homosexuals, LGBT people that come from sexual abuse. And that's not just a minority, and that's not just a group of people. That's the majority. So the little group of people that came from perfect little lives that never experienced any kind of trauma, you know, that's the minority in that group of people. However, even in a perfect home, sin can happen. I want to use the example of heaven. And in a perfect home where it was perfect and and God was a perfect parent, he was a perfect father, even Lucifer chose to sin. And you know what? That's the... That's, the, that's the, um, the mystery of iniquity, and it began in heaven, and even God knows what it's like for his children to err and to fall into sin. So, okay, let's say that you were raised by two perfect parents that were very loving. It still does not negate the fact that we live in a sinful world. And you know what? Even if you didn't have access to um, abuse inside the home, it could have come from school, through bullying, through abuse on a playground or whatever that was. There are many different ways to, uh, to be influenced that way. And so, yeah, whether, whether a great home or a bad home, Jesus still has the answer for sin. And, and the Bible is very clear. There are cultivated and hereditary tendencies to sin. Did that answer it, Monica? Yes. Yeah. Okay, good. We
0: have a couple more minutes.
1: So there was a question that said, um, who sponsored the booklet of the guiding families? And I just put an answer that it's the North American division of SEAs has a group that released that booklet. So it wasn't sponsored by, I guess, just the NAD. It was by a group of people in the NAD. And this booklet is being accepted in Australia, New Zealand, and also in Sweden that I know of.
4: You maybe,
0: since we're talking about books right now, do you have any like recommendations? Other than, oh. of course, the great uh, um, things you have on
1: your website. Yeah. Hang on one <laughs> second. Wow, Monica, you're so smart. <laughs> Thank you. What a great opportunity to share with you. If you go to comingoutministries.org, this is our newest release, our newest resource, and it's called Navigating the Storms of Contemporary Sexuality, Identity, and Love. And you know what? It's a really amazing um, resource. It's not very big, but it talks about navigating the storms of sexuality in our contemporary society today. What does the Bible say? What does God say? What does restoration look like? And it's uh, done by my colleague, Ron Woolsey. And it's a powerful resource tool. And you want to make sure that you get a copy. Okay?
0: Okay. Um, Is it like a book to read or it looks like there's also like questions and things like that, or like this. It addresses
1: a lot of questions that are out in sex, you know, about sexuality today. And let's see, um, let's see, just the table of contents. It says following your training, knowing your limitations, trust your instructor, uh, chart your course, prepare for the journey. So it's all based on like, you know, like flying in a plane, like navigating a plane, talks about mm-hmm. crosswinds, and headwinds, you know, because we're going to be bombarded by YouTube and by uh, the internet. But what do we use? What are the instruments that we're watching on our control panel, you know, through the Bible, through spirit of prophecy, through prayer, you know, trusting the instructor. So I, I, think, it's a, I think it's a very clever way of addressing um, the topic that's biblical and at the same time, compassion, compassionate. Thank you. Is thank, this thank
0: you? Oh, is it in, in in English right now? Um, I assume only yes. right now.
1: But it's also being translated into Spanish, and I think possibly German. I think possibly okay. German because we have a, a German translator. Okay, that's
0: great. I see there is another question in the chat
3: room.
0: or chat. <laughs> hmm. Do you want me to read it? Yes,
1: sure. (laughs) So how to approach people with this kind of attraction. You know, that's so funny because, you know, uh, the people that used to scare me were the ones that um, had like tattoos all over their bodies and piercing and gauges and, you know, stuff all over their face. And I was just frightened to even say anything to them. And it wasn't until I actually worked with one of my colleagues who was covered in tattoos and lived that life. And I would see her pictures with her shaved head and stuff. And then I realized, you know what? They're just people. And you know what? If you put aside, you know, the fact that they're gay or LGBT or whatever, just love them, just connect with them. And, you know, everything that they put on the outside is just a facade. It's just a a, a marketing tool about the anguish and the pain that they may be in. You know, maybe what they need is just a smile. Maybe they just need, you know, uh, a handshake or something like that. Ellen White makes this comment that was really powerful. She said, She said, not until we get to heaven will we know the power of even just a simple smile to someone. Even a smile without words is is a ministry. Isn't that something? So I think that whenever you see somebody that may be overtly gay, I think that your attitude towards them should be uh, the same as if you would approach anybody else. Don't focus on the issue. Focus on your savior. Show them genuinely who Jesus Christ is by the way that you love them and the way that you interact with them. Give them a piece of gum, you know, uh, help them to find directions. Or when you ask them for directions, thank them, you know, treat them like a human being. Treat them like you'd like to be treated. I think that those are basic basic, uh, rules of how to interact with people. So take the LGBT issue out of the way and just focus on them as a child of God. When you see them that way, you'll treat them much different.
0: And there is another question. Um, yeah, I can read it up. It's okay. Do you ever come to a point where you have a friend, homosexual, who listened to the word, uh, wants to listen to God, and never comes to a point that he is convicted to a point
2: he understands he's living in sin and needs
0: to point to Christ and leave sin, and you need to rebuke him with straight testimony? if he never comes to the point he's living in sin and cannot be at the same time with Christ all the time until the end?
1: Uh, You know, unfortunately, you lost a really great opportunity the minute you said you need to rebuke him. That in itself says is completely wrong. It's a rebuke. It's to enlighten. You know, it's to implore. A rebuke, that's, you're not their parent and you're not their instructor, you should be their friend and you should be their fellow sinner. And so the point, and I think that your point in here is like, at any time do you ever just you know, point out that it's sin? Listen, every person has a different way of being dealt with by the Holy Spirit. Your job is not to convert them, your job is to love them. Your job is to create a safety net so that the Holy Spirit can do his job. You're not the Holy Spirit. You don't know when the time is right to reveal a truth to somebody. If they ask, that's an invitation. If they're if they're seeking for it, that's an opportunity. But it is not your responsibility to rebuke anybody unless the Holy Spirit really moves in your life, but that's a very rare occasion. You've missed the opportunity and you've lost sight of the love and the, and the compelling love of Jesus Christ. Have you prayed for that person? Have you fasted and prayed before? before you open your mouth and rebuke them? Have you asked the Holy Spirit to guide them? There's a lot lost in that statement. And if you have this attitude that you have to rebuke someone from their sin, you're missing a whole lot. It is love and truth combined. Remember, the truth is like a clanging bell and it has basically no power at all if you have not love. And I'm not sensing a lot of love in that statement. Ouch. Sorry, that was a little strong. But again, can I just like say, if we're not motivated by the right principle, then all of your rebukes and exhortations are lost. You may do more damage for the gospel than you can to actually help it. And if Jesus wouldn't talk to that person in that way, then we can't talk to them that way either. They may have a true misunderstanding of the nature of God, and you have every right to show them the nature of Christ. You have every right to show them through the Bible that true surrender is giving up everything or whatever, but you don't have the right to tell people how to live.
5: Sorry, can I add something, actually, if I can? Um, From previous experiences, again, having friends like this, I thought the most helpful thing for me was to be relaxed, at all times and try and not lose like the patience. Um and just kind of trust God that I'm doing my part. And as Michael, as Michael, you were saying is to just be there as a friend, um, someone to ready to listen. Um and to love them, yes. But I think sometimes we put on ourselves the pressure of trying to be the saviors or we're suffering from that savior complex sometimes where we want to save people. Um, which um i think it comes from a place of love evidently um but i think it's is that's not that's not our place it's not our role to play so yeah sometimes I, i say from my experience again it's just to be relaxed and just love the person and have patience
1: it's hard it's so hard to be what is it harmless as doves Yet yeah, wise as serpents. And you know what? For somebody that has a child or somebody that has a friend that's living, you know, in sin, it's like, you know what? I it's like, how many times can I pray about this God? How many times can I, you know, bring this person to you without wanting to intervene and to help? And my help may not be the right help at the right time. I don't know what they're going through emotionally. But again, what's great is I can take my concerns and my cares and, and my love for that person and just say, Lord, help them you know, put somebody in their life, help them to see that this is destructive, get them to a point where they can see you and see the truth. Uh, and again, that's really difficult as a Christian. And, and sometimes that gets misunderstood. And, and again, when we feel like we have to get in their face and confront their sinful lives, uh, again, if it's not done with the Holy Spirit, you're doing more damage than you are uh, help for the gospel. But I understand it, it's got to be, well, it is, it, it's, it's very... Um, frustrating you know to love someone and to know that you there's nothing you can say and you have to stand by and allow them to make their own choices imagine how god feels you know what this is really interesting and 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 i got this from a speaker and he said this he said you have the right to decide whatever you want and god will respect it god will always respect your right to decide he said but you cannot escape the consequences of those decisions you know, you have the right to decide whatever you want, but you cannot escape the consequences of those decisions. And wow, that was a real startling. Um, that's a really delicate truth that I think that you can say in love. You know, you have the right to decide whatever you want to do, but there are consequences for all of our decisions. That's not a judgment. That's just letting them know that, that every choice has a consequence. I think
0: that's a very good um, place um to close this this meeting we are already a little bit over but I think it was important that we talked about this and um, yeah um, because you said that before as well um, one thing I took from um, I don't know if you guys have heard from um, Janet page before she's talking a lot about prayer and especially like, praying for people and sometimes, and I I was really moved by what she said, because she said, sometimes things get worse before they get better. And she said, that doesn't mean that nothing is happening. So just be happy that something is happening, even if it gets worse. And another thing that she said that also fits to what you said, um, that um, we often try to play um, the spirit but it's not our job, um, and yeah, I think, um, I hope that we all got something from from
3: uh, this uh,
0: workshop today, and I thank you all for coming, thank you, especially, uh, and um, yeah, if you want to, uh, have counsel on this topic. Is it okay if I share that? Uh, yeah, Michael is one of our counselors. Um, you can book an appointment, relevance. You can find him under speakers. Um, so he has actually, he has two accounts. So one is for his speaker, like speaking and you see his workshops and then there's another one where it says counselor. And there you can click on the link and book an appointment with him. So, yeah, uh, Michael, would you like to pray before we... Sure.
1: Meet? Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray, everyone. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to be able to speak here in, uh, at GYC ASI in Europe. Wow, Lord, uh, it's amazing how we're still able to have communication and dialogue on this topic. I know, Lord, that one day we won't be able to. And one day, Lord, we'll be under great persecution while we have the opportunities and the times to have these discussions, Lord, help to guide us, help us, Lord, to be loving and kind and yet truthful. And and that's a really difficult thing to do, but we can only do that through your help. And I pray, Father, that that for those that we love, that we would be willing to extend ourselves, uh, not only emotionally, but also spiritually to them, to put them on a prayer list. Because Lord, it was because I had three sisters that were praying for me is the reason why I'm back. And so, Lord, help us not to let go of these individuals. Help us not to buy into the lie that you are are accepting of people that are gay. Because, Lord, that leaves them in a lost state. And that loses opportunities to pray for them, to help the Holy Spirit, to assist them in that work. I still do not know how you got me here, Lord. But I'm grateful for every prayer that went up in my behalf and for every prayer that continues up in my behalf So, Lord, I thank you and I praise you for for this dialogue. And I ask, Lord, that for all of those people that we may be praying about, that, Lord, that you would exponentially add them and bring them and call them, Lord, and love them into your throne of grace. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you all. Um, We have now a dinner break. You can check out the exhibitions. And then at seven, we have the
3: evening devotion
0: again in the main stage
2: online area.
0: (laughs) Take care. Thank you again. Bye. Bye.
5: Bye, Bye.